It is good to be here. I was not in Florida yesterday. I was in Dieppe. <laughs> good morning, church. It is good to be here, and I am so grateful for the privilege to bring his word to you, to serve it to you like he served it to me. Do you know I remember in Bible college, one of my professors saying, God will never use a platform until he's met you privately. And so in the private place, I've heard this word. In the private place, this word has been sinking deep in my own heart. I want us to consider what it is in surrender to be able to know the difference between simply hearing God's voice and listening to God's voice. If you have kids, you know what I'm talking about. If you've ever had a boss that you feel like might not be clear in his messaging, you know what I'm talking about. You know that cry that you, you say, didn't I tell you that, that the garbage had to be brought out before 10 on Tuesday? Didn't you hear me? Is it only me that has to remind my wonderful servant husband of such things each week? It's the cry of the parent that says, honey, I told you to pick up the Play-Doh when you were done. Did you hear me? It's the cry of the boss that says, did I not ask for this to be completed by Friday? Did you hear, was I making myself clear? But somewhere between hearing and listening, there's a whole lot that happens. You've done it yourself, I've done it myself. I've heard many things, but have I responded? And clearly in a point, the difference between hearing and listening is all in its response. Listening will always, always, always require a response. There's action that comes with hearing. The word of God says, how would they know if they've never heard? So we preach the gospel. But to preach the gospel and have it never responded to is ineffective gospel. But when you know the good news and then you realize that the good news can set you free, it has a reaction that happens. It causes a change to come about. It causes me to then not just hear of this, not just have a knowledge of the good news, but a personal interaction with a personal God, with a personal message, and I respond in action to what he's saying. Amen? There's one thing, Max Lucado is one of my favorite all-time authors, and I've read many, but I keep coming back to my favorite. Me and Max have had many a moment. But Max Lucado says that there's a difference. There's one thing to miss a message from your wife about cleaning up a room or making sure the dishes are clean or making sure the dishwasher's unloaded. It is something else entirely to miss one from God about the destiny of your life. How many of you are eager to hear his plan for your life? How many of you know you need it, but yet somewhere in the vastness of it, somewhere in the mystery of it, Pastor Joel, there comes this sense of being intimidated by it. It's something so mystical, and sometimes I either want it with all my heart, or I say it's too big for me to even figure out anyway. 
And many of us have had one response or the other. The response of, I'm all in, I'm all yours, don't get what I'm signing up for, but if it's you, I'm coming with you. And then others of us have said, I know God's real, I trust that he loves me, but it just seems too far off for me to understand it, so I won't even try at all. Sure way not to hear God is just to intentionally think it's too hard to hear him at all. And I wanna encourage you this morning with this word that there is not one of us that he's counted out. That there's not one of us that he's said, ah, made a plan for most of you, but you and you, mm, figure your own lives out. There's, there's nothing of it. That he has a plan and a purpose for each of our lives that he wants to reveal to us. And in the complexity of it, it's not that complicated. In the beauty of the details of it, I shouldn't step back out of the game and think, I, I'm not gonna get it anyway. In my eagerness to know it, that I wouldn't let fear or paranoia of missing it or messing it up keep me from longing to know it better. I want to encourage you, my friends, my church, that for such a time as this, that you would let the word of God get in your heart afresh today from wherever it is you are on your journey. If you're two weeks into this Christian life, bite into it now. If you're 26 years and two months and four days into this, bite into it today because there's still more. I met my friend Ola here this morning and he's been serving the Lord and he said, you know what I love the best is that I'm still figuring out that God's still working on me. God's still working out his plan in me. Through this and in this, he's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. That is not just a song from kindergarten church. That's not just some song, some ditty in the past. This is a truth that we're living out and anchoring on with all our might in the middle of our lives, trusting that he's still working on me to make me what, he ought, what I'd ought to be. Took him just a week to make the moon and the sun, the sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars a loving and patient, say loving, and patient, he must be still working on me. I'm ready to go, Shirley. If some of you brought your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to 1 Samuel. This word has come alive and afresh to me this past month. Samuel's the ninth book of the Bible, a beautiful book that sometimes can seem wedged in between the other important ones, but boy, is there power in Samuel. If you break it up, you'll really see three main characters that keep on coming up in Scripture in this chapter, in this book. We see Samuel, character one. We see Saul, and we see David. And what we see each and in individually, each of them, we see a call that requires a life to carry out. 
I want to share a little bit this morning of the fact that I have known without a doubt from a very early age that God had a call on my life. Many a mentoring moments happened in our car driving up and down the roads of Triton, Newfoundland, my friends. I'm the oldest of three kids and often Instead of going to bed at the same time, the plan was once the younger kids go to bed, and my sister's here today, once the younger kids go to bed, mom and I, if it was 9, 30, 10 o'clock, and I had my homework done, we could go for a drive. And many a moments driving up and down the streets of the metropolis of Triton, Newfoundland, came some mentoring moments that I learned from my mom behind the wheel of a 1986 Corolla that God's plans for me were perfect and particular. That God had plans for my life just like he had plans for my friends' lives. Just like he had plans for my siblings' lives. But somewhere in those moments over a Pepsi and yellow crunchets, I hung on to the words of my mother I hung on to the words of what she spoke over me that were not always big and glamorous and glorious. And I picture her now thinking what it was to be a mom of three kids. I don't even know where she found the energy to go back out for drives and have anything of value to say at 9, 30, 10 o'clock at night. But what she was speaking into me was the life and the interaction that she had with God to personally impress upon me that knowledge and truth that God had a plan for my life. Do you know I can picture very clearly a reference point. It was a group of us that went to Long Island, tiny town. Like Triton was the metropolis, Long Island was the tiny town, okay? You had to take a ferry to get to Long Island. And I'm not 84 years old, but I did live in small town Newfoundland, and we had to drive to a ferry, get on a ferry for five minutes to get to this little town where we were going to have a regional youth rally. Albeit, it wasn't the most successful from numbers looking youth rally that had ever been planned. We had a great speaker and a great worship leader. But we got there and it was time to start. And do you know how many people, how many kids from outside town came? There were seven of us. If you've ever done youth ministry and you put a lot of work and effort and time into something, you may not have thought that seven in attendance was a good record crowd. But I remember as the pastor got up before us, probably a little disappointed. Remember, this was our opportunity to potentially meet our future husband here. And there's seven of us, and two of them are the boys that we hang out with every day. There's no options here on Long Island. But he spoke to us clearly, and he said, guys, if you want, this could be the weekend that changes the rest of your life. I believe that God had ordained this. I believe that God called me to plan it. And if I can have your commitment that you are going to turn your ears on to listen to what God is saying to you, you will find in this weekend that God is going to give you direction and directive for the rest of your life if you'll open your ears, if you'll be willing to listen to what he's saying. The seven of us 
we're all in. I can remember it was the last service of the weekend and it had been a powerful weekend indeed. It was Sunday night and the sermon's been spoken and, and the speaker that had come had spoken on Jeremiah 1.5. Felt like I had never heard it before in my life. I'm in grade eight, I'd gone to Christian school. Felt like I had never heard this any more specifically ever in time. Before you were born, I knew you, he said. Speaking of the call on Jeremiah's life, before you were born, God says to Jeremiah, I knew you and I called you and I set you apart. In the womb, I had a plan for you and I heard it. He concluded his message about trusting God's big plan with asking this straggly bunch of seven teenagers who were probably already planning what they were gonna bring for recess the next morning to school on Monday, he stopped and challenged us that before we responded in surrender to God's plan for our life, that we would take a moment and allow the truth of what that might mean that we're signing up for. I'm telling you at 14, I had no idea what I was saying yes to. But I believed and I knew that if I was trusting a God that loved me so particularly and so everlasting, that the best plan for my life was the plan that he had planned for me. And it could have been 10 minutes, but it felt like three hours, and I felt like my lips could not even put the words. And we were all knelt to our seat, kneeling to allow us to consider the weight of what we were saying, to settle in, And what may have been 10 minutes felt like moments with Jesus that I will never, ever forget. And even now, as I recollect, I can experience the sense of peace that came with diving into his plan for my life. And as I turned and I sang, I surrender all, when the words finally could be articulated, I sang it with all my might, Don. I meant it with all my life, but in grade eight did I have a clue what it was still to mean. Because what I've seen and what I know is that responding to the call of God, responding to the plan of God, requires a lifetime for me to live it out. There's not this one point that he's trying to get me to. There's not one destination on the map that he's trying to get you around and into. The call and the plan of God is for each and every one of his children that he has a blueprint already on file for that's so particular and sure that it takes a whole lifetime to carry it out and complete it. It is in the well, well done, my good and faithful servant on the as I walk in the gates of glory, that I will know that I have completed this call. And it is this call that I want you to invite you to see this morning in the lives of these three main characters, Samuel, Saul, and David.
Lord, I pray that you'd bring your word straight off this, these pages and into our hearts. Alive and well this morning, amen. You turn, you see chapter one, chapter two, you hear the cry of an emotional lady who is desperate and barren. Her name is Hannah. She's disappointed that she can't carry children for the husband that she loves and the husband that loves her back. She's desperately crying before the Lord in the temple. I just want to bear a son. There's pain in this room where we've experienced very much that very same grief, where the cry of our heart is just to conceive, to just to be a mom. And if you give me a child, she commits in her prayer, I promise that I will give him back to serve in the temple for the rest of his life. Why do you ask for something that you're gonna give back? What wisdom was it in finally being a mom that now you give him back to the temple and you send him off to service? I'm not quite sure, but what I do know is that in her cry, God responded. And in that holy fit, there comes a holy visit. God shows up in the middle of her grief and says, I have heard your cry, and I will give you a son. And she called him Samuel. And he committed to the service of the temple for the rest of his life as she gave him back and dedicated him to the service of God. Samuel is living proof of the truth that before you were born, I knew you. Before your mom ever conceived, I had a plan for your life, Samuel. But as we pick up his story in chapter 3, doesn't look super glamorous. He's just a guy who's been sent to serve at the temple. Now let's be sure to make it clear that he's not on some glorified internship. He's never going to be qualified to be a priest. The number one stipulation of being a priest in Israel was that you were from the tribe of the Levites, from Aaron's line. He wasn't. So I wonder where he found purpose in the in-between when he's just in the temple picking up the mess that some of the other people that have come to worship have left behind, when he's just trimming the lamps, when he's just the errand boy. I wonder what you find purpose in in the middle of your mundane, my friends in the middle of just doing what you don't really understand you're about. But in the middle of that, God calls. The boy Samuel, chapter three, ministered before the Lord under Eli. And in those days, the word of the Lord was rare. And there were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. And the lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple where the ark of God was. And then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, here am I. And he ran to Eli and said, here I am, you called me? 
But Eli said, I did not call you. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Again, the Lord called Samuel. Samuel. Samuel got up and he went to Eli and he said, here I am. You called me? My son, Eli, said, I did not call you. Go back and lie down. Did you not hear me the first time? Now, Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Now, the Lord called Samuel a third time, and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am. You called me. Pretty routine. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, go and lie down. And if he calls you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, speak, for your servant is, say it with me. And the Lord said to Samuel, see, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears of it tingle. He goes on to share the, the vision of what's to come in Israel. Do you know this young boy had no idea what he was saying, yes, Lord, to? He just thought it was his master calling. I'm coming, you need a glass of water? You called me, are you okay? Do you need some help to the washroom? Not only is he just the errand runner, he's the caretaker. He's tending hand and foot on Eli. Um, you need me, I'm here? In, an at, in, a, in a sense of service, in an eager response to just being a helpful servant, he responds to what he thinks is just the one that he's in charge of. He doesn't yet know that he's speaking, that he's responding to the one who's in charge of him that's in control and has a plan for him. But when he calls, simply say, yes, Lord, I am listening. Let's turn to our second character, Saul. We know of him as a mighty warrior. We know of him as Jonathan's dad, the king of Israel. But his story's pretty quiet when he's introduced to us. Let's pick it up in chapter 9. There was a Benjaminite, Benjamite, a man of standing whose name was Kish, son of Abel, the son of Zerah, the son of Becheroth, the son of Ephia of Benjamin. Don't you love these names? And he had a son named Saul, an impressive young man with equal, without equal among the Israelites, a head taller than any of the others. 
the guy you'd pick for your basketball team. Now the donkeys belonging to Saul's father, Kish, were lost. And Kish said to his son, Saul, take one of the servants with you and go and look for the donkeys. So you, so he went ahead and he passed through the hill country of Ephraim and through the area around Shalisha, but they did not find them. They went down and on into the district of Shalem, but the donkeys were not there. Then he passed through the territory of Benjamin, but they did not find them. They're on a wild donkey hunt. Any of you guys have a puppy, a new dog? When someone comes to the door, there's this written rule of coming to visit that don't open the door before the dog runs out. Our friends Heather and Drew have a new puppy, and the rule since the puppies come along is that we can never just open the door and run in because Ruby has a tendency, just when there's a crack, that the dog gets out. And we know that whoever lets the dogs out are the ones that are in the dog's house. It ain't no fun looking for animals. It's not the most glamorous job to be given to go look for the lost donkeys. And yet when dad asks, Saul responds, and he goes and takes a servant, and they go to look for the donkeys. Do you know this is some futile search because they never find the donkeys themselves. They travel 20 miles on foot. Remember, the donkeys are lost. 20 miles, three days later, they've run out of food, chapter 9 continues to say. They're desperate and hungry, and we just need to find the donkey so we can get home and get some food and just say, tell Dad that I've completed my task. But the servant... But the servant says, Saul, I've heard in this area there is a seer. There is a prophet. I've heard of him on Facebook. His name's Samuel. He's showing up in all my feeds. We should just see if he might be able to help us find the donkeys. And so they go about. They're out asking around the community, where is Samuel the prophet? He may be able to help us find these crazy donkeys so we can get home. And in the middle of completing their mundane tasks, the commitment they've been given, guess who happens to be just in front of them? They ask, where is Samuel? Oh, he happens to be coming Right here, right now. Samuel, Samuel's right in front of them. But just the day before, God has spoken to Samuel privately again and said, the people of Israel have been crying out for a king. They've been asking for a king. I'm going to give them the king they wanted. And this time tomorrow, there will be a man that you will meet. He's going to be looking for donkeys. How more specific can his word come? How more particular to the man can it be? He's gonna be looking for donkeys. Tell him not to worry. The donkeys have been found, but I want you to 
meet this guy, this will be the man I've chosen to be the first king of Israel. Just when you thought there was nothing in the commitment, just when you thought, what good can you do with a donkey hunter who has no money left to even buy a meal, what will you do with a committed donkey hunter? I'll make him a king. And finally, let's just quickly look at David's story. David, chapter 16, we pick up his story. We've heard it. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul since I've rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with fresh oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem and I have chosen one of his sons to be king. Samuel said, how can I go? Saul will hear about it and he'll kill me. The Lord said, take an effort with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord and invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Now we know that Jesse brings his son, lines him up, the, the meal's been planned. Now the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider the appearance or the height, for I have re rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And then Jesse passes through all of his sons. Seven of them have lined up. No, it's not that one. It's not that one. It's not that one. We're at the end of the line. And Samuel says, are these all the sons you have, Jesse? Well, there is still the youngest one, Jesse answered. But he's out tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him, and we will not sit down until he arrives. And so he sent and had him brought in. He was ruddy with a fine appearance and handsome features. And then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. He is the one. So many common threads to each of their stories. Three powerful men designed and purposed for powerful places. But in their response, in their response to receiving that very specific call, there's three common threads that I keep seeing over and over in this book of the Bible. And through many stories, even in the lives of the people I know here, number one, that God's call is so personal. Samuel, Samuel. My friend Destiny is all of 13. And when I told her I was preaching, I said, I'm going to be preaching from Samuel. When you think of Samuel's story, what's the first thing that comes to mind? And she said, I love that when God called Samuel, that he used his name, that he called him so specifically from the mouth of babes. God calls us so personally. When he says my name, 
He knows just what he's speaking to. As he knows my life, he knows exactly what that entails. So often when we consider that his plans are so perfect, remember, he's the DNA knitting, fingerprint making, hair counting kind of God that I know. He's put some attention into you. He's put lots of attention into knowing every single detail about you, Vanessa. Took the time to count every single split end on this big long mop. And in his very specific way of knowing me, he speaks so personally to me. Many of you said, but I don't hear God in any audible voices. I don't know who you are, spiritual newfie, but I haven't been hearing him talk to me lately. Have you been listening? Remember Samuel keeps responding, thinking it must be Eli. He's just committed to helping. And with Eli's mentoring, he says, when he calls Tell him to speak because you are listening. A sure way of not hearing God's voice is not listening for it. A sure way of not knowing which way to go is not asking which road to take. A sure way of feeling left to your own devices is it to take the wheel yourself. His plans are so perfect, so particular, so intricate, so specific to you, Bob. So specific to you that they're only for you. And they've been pre-planned before you were you. His plan was for you. Is there not confidence in knowing that the one who is planning for you, the one who has plans for your life is the one that knows you most and longest. There is nobody who knows you better. Nobody who knows you more specifically than him. So when he calls you say, yes, speak, I'm listening. I want to hear what you're saying. His plan and his call is so personal. And our faith is only built on this, that we have a personal experience with him. Everybody else, Colin, can tell you what he's doing in their lives and there comes this sense of, I wish, I wish I knew it like they did. But what I want to challenge you is again to find the secret place so that you can hear them speak personally to you. So that he can speak to you personally, you need to have a personal interaction with him, a personal relationship with him. 
where you allow him to get to know you afresh, but more importantly, that you know him afresh for your life. Because he knows the junk I have, because he knows the details of my life, I can trust that he knows how to make use of it. His plans are so personal. And his plan has your name. He's done a personal invitation. He's not just passing out a free-for-all. Everybody's invited. Here's the plan for all of you. Here's the plan for you, Kareen. An invitation to know my plan for you specifically. Here's a plan for you, Mark. A plan for you specifically. Invited specifically. Your name is on it. His plans are personal. What I also know and I see over and over in their stories is that his plan requires faithful character and obedience. What was so fantastic about being the errand runner in the temple? What career plan did Samuel have hanging out in the temple every day doing what needed to get done? What phenomenal importance was it to be selected by your dad to use your Saturday morning to go hunt for your lost donkeys? What's so awesome about being the guy who's out with the sheep? Nothing. Nothing special. But what is special is your faithful attention to do it your faithful attention to do what's in your hands and do it with all your might. That you would know the sovereignty of God, the plans of God in the middle of the mundane. That we would see the mystical in the middle of the mundane, in the humdrum, in the this is boring stuff. Do you know who should be able to see God's plan unfold clearest in your life are the ones that see you service them, are the ones that see you show up and give all you've got in whatever you're doing. If anybody should be able to speak to the plan and the call of God on my life, it's my husband who sees me with bad hair and without a portfolio, without a title, without a mission, but he sees me faithfully show up to serve my family. Who should see us and know that God is working in our lives most? Our boss in the job that you don't think is good enough for you yet. Let me tell you, he's working in the middle of it. Career development in the kingdom of God, my friends, looks a whole lot different than the messages that we've been fed. There's not much of a high up position to be seen for some heron runner, Aaron runner, I'm putting the H's where they shouldn't be. When the spirit's flowing, the H's drop and the H's find themselves wherever they want. There's nothing glamorous about the errand runner. There's nothing glamorous about hunting for your dad's lost donkeys. There's nothing glamorous or high up 
about going and taking care of the sheep. But in the kingdom, in the economy, in the development plan of God himself, let me tell you this. That his call is always to deeper. And should that take you higher, all the better. But he is not calling us to higher. He is calling us first and foremost, Tracy, to the deeper. He is calling us deeper every time, every time, every time. What's good in the temple picking up the garbage? I am building character. I am building character. What is wonderful? What is wonderful about going and finding your dad's donkeys is that you're doing it and you are committed to the task. He is building something deeper, Saul. His plans see something deeper that are about to happen. What's he doing with the bunch of sheep when you're out practicing your music because your brothers are sick and tired of you pulling out the harp around the living room? He is building character out on the pasture. He is building something deeper in you. And the stuff of kings is the stuff that he's building in them to be the king's and the leaders that he himself lives up to. Remember, our example is the servant king, is the foot washing, care for the least of these kind of king. And so if you want to be able to find the confidence that you can trust that he is doing something in what you think is futile and unnecessary, this is crazy that I'm having to do this. He's still not ready to take you out of it yet because you're still not responding to what he's doing to take you deeper. Let me promise you what I see here is that God sees. God sees what's happening as the lights in the temple and the spotlights have faded. God sees what's happening on the pasture with the sheep taking care of dirty business. God sees what's happening simply, simply because he can. He sees, he sees, he sees you in your dead end job. He sees you as an obedient son. He sees you in faithful service. And I promise that his plan for development for your life will be this, that he will bless faithful character and obedience every single time. And finally, I see this, that for you to ever go anywhere, for you ever to hear his voice in all of its fullness, is that you come listening in humility there's something humble about each of these characters. Whether it's their position or what they're doing in faithful service. Samuel knows he's just a boy. Saul knows he's just a Benjamite. And in his story, you hear him actually bring it up. Why are you treating me like this, Samuel? Don't you know I'm just from the line of Benjamin? 
And of the tribe of Benjamin, I am the smallest tribe of all. I'm not just the part of the lowest. I am the lowest of the lowest. David sees that he's just a shepherd when he's given and tasked later as you see him grow. And obviously he's growing in his faith when he's tasked to face the greatest giant. His response to the king, to Saul, why are you, how in the world are you qualified to take on this ghastly giant because out when I've been in the field, out on the field, serving faithfully to my father, serving faithfully the sheep, your servant's been keeping his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, mm-hmm, shook it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. And when it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, shook it, and I killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this crazy Philistine. What's he been doing out on the pasture? He's been building character, and he is blessing humility again. Recognizing who I am is one thing, but recognizing what God in me can do is holy confidence. Humility is something that anybody in power is dangerous without it. Ask anybody in recruitment, and I tell you what they'd say, I'd take the humble any day over the arrogant. I'd take the person any day who thinks he's not good enough for the job any day for, then, before I'd take the guy who thinks he's too good for the job. You've counted yourself out. God says, I will bless humility every time. Humility is not face down, head down. I'm, I'm awful. Who am I? I'm, I'm just some girl from the sticks in Newfoundland. Humility recognizes that without him, I am nothing. Humility recognizes that in my weakness, he is so strong. Despite my position, he still uses. I commit everything to him because I know he can do something with it. This beautiful humility will lead you to places in confidence that your own skills and resume can never bring you to. And humility will always position you to be able to hear God's voice for direction in your life. Had Saul said, what? King? I don't want to be a king. I'm, I'm, I'm good out here. Samuel had said, listen, prophet, I want a bigger position than being prophet. There comes a humble response when we see the greatness of who he is. But in humility, we respond to him saying, you and me is great. 
Next time you want to visit Pity City and think you're nothing and nobody, just think that the God of the universe chooses you. He chooses you. He wants you. He needs you. He wants to use you in your humanness, in your weakness. But don't stay in Pity City. Let it be that place where you find Jesus and you say, I know I'm not enough, but you and me, whoa, that could do crazy things. God in me, God in me, God in me. I don't encourage you to be confident, my friends. I encourage you to be God-fident. I encourage you to find a strength in understanding is greatness in you, despite you, whether you think you're the most gifted or you think there's not a gift in you, let me encourage you with this, that God in you can do the impossible. God in you, you listening to God for you specifically, can do crazy things, and there's no expiry date on this plan, friend. There's no period when you say, ah, I spoiled it, I'm stepping back from him, and I messed it up already. He says, come fresh to me with fresh ears. Serve faithfully where I position you. Hear me calling you specifically. Keep your heart humble. Because do you ever want to get to the positions of leadership without the depth and the strength of character that it will take to lead through it? Leadership's not all it's cracked up to be boys and girls. With to whom much is given, much is required. And so stand still and see them in the middle of what you think is useless information, useless season. and ask him to build every bit of himself. Ask him to teach you every lesson that this position has for you to learn. And if you don't go, I'm not going there yet. His plan is so perfect. And all it requires is that I go from hearing of it to listening to it. Speak, Lord. I am listening. Speak, and I'll be quick to answer you. Obedience is not a child, a child's game. Obedience is a mark of maturity. You tell me who your mentor is in this church. You tell me the man or the woman that you look up to most. I promise what you've seen continually in their lives is obedience to God's plan for their lives. And as you grow in him, as he still works on you, Ola, he's teaching us afresh to simply obey his ways. Oh, how I want you to know this that you would confidently trust God and you confidently walk into work tomorrow, confidently serve your family, confidently be the sister you need to be, confidently 
sense his call on your life that he is doing something now, there will only come one response. I surrender all. I surrender all. I'm all yours. I love what you're saying. I want it all, God. I want it all. Though I have no idea what all that means, I know I'm safe in you. Well, I'm not qualified. I trust that you'll qualify me. I want all of it. I am all yours. It was the lesson of my youth, the commitment at that pew. It is the cry of my heart to simply know him still and fresh. So if you've never met my Jesus, maybe it's the best news you've ever heard that he's got a plan with your name written all over it. That the gospel would remind you that Jesus came, died on a cross, rose again so that his blood could wash you clean and be the sacrifice for your sin so that you could know the fullness of his plans for your life. You would know his plan for your life. I encourage that you would respond to his invitation to know him. But my friends who have committed to him long ago, he still calls and he still cries for you to want to know him again. We leave response time sometimes for the first timers. Oh, that I would come to him for the 500th time this week with the sense of I surrender in every word of my prayer. I surrender all. Surrender it all.